Hey guys, welcome to We Talk 360. We are your hosts, Caitlin and Max, and today we'll be talking to Dave Rui. Dave is, and was at first one of my coworkers, um, but he's been just like a really cool mentor to me. Um, and then now it's just kind of like more like we're friends and he trains with me as a client. Uh, since we started working out together, we just kind of started talking about, you know, like his life in the military and trauma and like other things that I've gone through and like depression and anxiety and just life shit. Um, and I think Dave has got like a really cool insight into the world. Um, just being a person that was in combat, um, and just kind of like the way he sees things as times have evolved and how like we view mental health. Um, and he talks about kind of how his perspective changes as well. Like his time in the military before until like just really recently, um, his different outlook on mental health and how we treat people. Um, yeah. And I, Dave's a really beautiful person and I love him dearly. And I'm just really thankful that, um, I have him in my life and he's, he's been really, really supportive of Caitlin and I, um, and in this podcast, yeah, he has so, been. um, yeah, he's the best. And I think this is a really, really cool episode. I'm excited for people to, people to listen to it. Yeah, me too. I think it's, it'll be a really cool conversation and I don't know. I'm excited to hear his perspective and everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, life updates. Max, you want to yeah. give us a little life update? Um, nothing like big. Just kind of making some moves at work. Things like that. I think the gym is about to move locations. Just cool. Get a better space. Um, and then just at work, some things kind of changing around. Uh, I think just stuff I've kind of been like working towards the past few months. I'm uh, starting to kind of like come together, which is uh, awesome. Yeah. I don't know. Dude, my fucking iPhone, like, you know how like on Snapchat, it gives you like memories and random memories. And then like, yeah. and then like your camera roll, like now, like if you like swipe to the like right into like that, like yeah, setting screen or whatever, like that general screen, it gives you just like random, like photo memories. Fucking yeah. killing me lately, man. Like, Dude, fucking I up, know. <sighs> like really bad it's really tough i feel you i got i got a snapchat memory today of my ex from two years ago and like i feel like i'm in a space where i like, obviously it's sad to see and i miss that version of us but i'm like so content where i'm at right now i That's can't great. imagine being back there yeah but it is really sad to see pictures like kind of remember everything yeah no it's just been like really fucking me up and it's like i don't really or like when i get like like snapchat memories of like my apartment last year it really bums me out and then like a lot of the pictures i got like this week were like, me and my girlfriend who i i broke up with we were together for like two years and some change um but it's like i broke up with her and i'm like, getting like these like fucking memories or whatever and i'm just like yeah so that's been tough yeah and then just like i had just like a like a little crisis evening <laughs> where i was like it's like really sad <laughs> and just, i was like i don't know it's like why does it take me so long to get over shit um like for my like most recent girlfriend so just kind of trying to figure that out man we all good no it's okay i'm just yeah but like what does dave always tell you and he'll oh, bring yeah. this up too. Don't compare traumas, and it's the same way with healing. Don't compare your healing with someone else's or anyone else's for that matter. Yeah, you're gonna heal at your own pace, 
and things might take longer, take shorter. You know, just no comparing. You'll heal, heal when the time is right. And I'm sorry it's been still sucky, but I know you'll get through it. And there's all there's also a purpose for why maybe it's taking the length that it is or whatever you have to learn. Maybe you haven't learned it yet. No. Dope. We'll be okay. It's gonna be alright. Yes, thank you. I, I wasn't that wasn't dismissive. I'm sorry. I but yes. No, I know. <laughs> it's just it, we really do say it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Every episode. And yeah. it will be. It will. Yeah, but it, will. it is like we kinda are sometimes like we're saying it more so so that we believe it rather than actually believing it right now in the moment. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay, moving, I, moving I, on. I so, guys, guess what? Oh, it's a <laughs> I'm big very excited. One. Yeah, it's a big one. I quit my job. <laughs> Let's go. And, uh, <laughs> um, quit my job, put in my notice. I have exactly one month until I am done. And Never it's a long job ride. again. You're just going to live on the road. Yeah. I'm just going to be a nomad. I'm just going to like, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I was going to play along with that, but I just couldn't. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, but yeah, so starting March 1st, I will be working a couple part times and trying to make things work. But I'm really excited because it's all the jobs that I'm trying to like piece together and make work together are within the fitness realm and that's what I've been so passionate about I'm so excited to finally get my foot in that door I've just known for so long that this research and like maybe even going for my doctorate isn't what I really want anymore yeah um I'm proud of myself I'm I'm ready I'm ready I'm ready to move on ready to be a personal trainer for real and then, like, this is just kind of, like, tough to do, like, half-ass. And I know, like, I'm pretty much, like, part-time personal trainer, but, like, it's hard to, like, and, and with anything, too, but especially, like, this, when it's, like, in person and, like, ex- just experience, like, honestly, just doing it is so important. Like, you could know all the things in the world, but this is just a different type of customer or service than just, like, you know, waiting tables or working retail. Like, I'd worked retail, like, had a lot of, like, retail customer, like, face-to-face experience. It's just not the same thing. You literally just have to do it to get used to it and to get good at it. You could know all the things in the world, and you could just, like, and it, and you wouldn't be good at just, like, training people in person. Um, but it can be really yeah. rewarding, and it's really awesome. But you just have to, like, you know, you just got to do that and, like, make relationships with people. Um yeah. And also, you know, fucking, I wouldn't, like, I don't think that you think this, don't ever think that you've been wasting time or like whatever. Cause also like, we're still hella young and you're also doing a badass thing. And the best part about maybe doing a bunch of things part-time is that you're going to get a lot of different experiences in different realms of like fitness. Um, yeah. And so you're going to be, you're going to, I think very quickly going to become an asset to um, like a gym or another service or something like that. And yeah, just being being multifaceted. It's gonna be cool. It's really exciting. I can't wait like for us to talk yeah. about it and stuff. It's gonna be cool. I know. When I told my boss that I was looking to leave, I did mention maybe doing part time for them and they were like, It it just doesn't work for us for you mm-hmm. to do part time. So I was like, Okay, I'm gonna put my notice in. Um she was like, Can I ask what you're doing? Like what what is it that you're leaving us for? And it wasn't her being like nasty yeah, or anything. She was just genuinely 
yeah. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm going to start personal training. Um, there's an online company that I'm, I just am doing things for now. And then I'm also going to be a fitness instructor, like a group fitness instructor and personal train through that gym. Um, which by the way, I said this last episode, but it was a kickboxing studio that I tried out oh, yeah, and I got, yeah. got the offer. So very exciting. Go. Yeah, I um, you, I think you text me about that or something. Hype. Yeah. So hype. Um, and I'm so bad at it right now, but I'm learning, like, learning, I'm training. Bro, like any job I've had, it's funny looking back, but dude, I was so bad at this shit. Yeah, my first few weeks, my first few months, but honestly, like my most of my first summer trying to be like an actual trainer at an actual gym, not training my friends. I was like, God, I was so awkward. It's terrible. So it just takes practice. The more you do it and the more you're just kind of like, fuck it. They don't know. This thing too, you got to remember, dude, you know more than these people most of the time. You just got to not give a fuck and be confident. Honestly, I True. haven't been in here in so long when I started this summer. But like, I just had to remember, dude, they're here for our services. I can do this. I just act like you, you do know what you're doing. You just got to act like you actually know what you're doing because you do. When I went into my boss, I was telling her all these different things. And she's like, I'm just a little worried for you. She didn't explicitly say too much, but she was also like, I feel like there's the, been this stigma. It's what I'm switching from the nine to five is so different than this like kind of free for all schedule that I'm going into. And I don't think that she necessarily understood it. Yeah. So then it kind of, I got in my head, but um, my, my professor for my master's program, like we do check-ins, like we had a check-in for our, um, it's kind of like a thesis project to get my degree. I have to complete this project. So anyway, she called me and I was telling her about everything and we have a professional relationship. Like it's not like she knows too much about me. Um, but from our conversations, I've always been, I guess I've told, I've told her what I've wanted to do with my doctorate and maybe doing clinical psych and doing therapy and eventually leading towards that. Um, when I was telling her about fitness and like where I'm headed now, she's like, I'm really proud of you for trying the research, but the way you're talking about it now and what you're doing now you sound just so much happier. She's yeah, like, like more she doesn't know me that well. Yeah. yeah. So it was really, I mean, two different people, both similar, both have PhDs, et cetera. They both know me in different ways, but like, I don't know, two different opinions don't really matter. I need to just stay in my lane. You do your own I, thing. Anyway. You believe in yourself. It's going to work out. And you already have like, you already have opportunities you've already gone for it so you just gotta buy in like to yourself and that you can do this because you can it's an important job yeah. but it's not rocket science you're smart enough and you've studied and you've got this so it's gonna be it's gonna be all right yeah. so, but like for real like, it's just you have, i mean you believe in yourself enough to go fucking quit your job and go do this you just stick with it and just keep doing it and also like my schedule's crazy and like i'm busy but like i do have a lot of freedom with it and like a lot yeah. of my friends who work nine to fives or have like traditional office jobs and things like that are like, some of them are like, I wish I would do like whatever you're doing. I still work and I work hard and I'm busy, but there's a lot of freedom that comes with that. So it's pretty awesome. I feel so. like you grind, like you grind. It might not be a traditional way of grinding for most people. Like it's not, it isn't the nine to five experience, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're not working hard at all. Yeah. And also doing what you're passionate about. 
And that's all that matters. And we're going to have a crazy big podcast in a couple of years, too. And they're just going to be mm-hmm. doing whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, guys, hit share. Go share this with your friends, your family. Hit share. Etc. <laughs> hit share. Subscribe button. I'm so sorry. Here's another funny life update. So I'm going to put this oh, guy on blast. I don't gonna, know if you – Okay. I don't know if he listens to this, but he saw our Instagram. He saw the clip and he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but okay, so this, I'll give him credit for that. I'm just saying, like, if he just listens to it, like, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, but, okay, so anyway, to go back to, to get into the story, um, I think he's, so this random guy, don't know him. He lives in Charleston, too. Um, it says in his bio on his Instagram. I don't know. He DMs me. I think two days ago and goes, I found your podcast on my explore. Oh my gosh. I found your podcast on my explore page. Thought you were really cute. Let me take you out to dinner. And yeah, I was like, get to dinner. I thought it was like, can I get your number? Something like that. That's so funny. Like, I forgot about that. <laughs> he was, he was forward. I, I, I was like, how do you feel about that? I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I when I texted you, I, I was like, we're reaching more people. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which is hype, so hype. We we were on someone's explore page on Instagram, like <laughs> yeah, and someone in Auburn, Alabama too. So I've heard. Yeah, we're we're reaching people. That's Big so news, awesome. Yeah. But like, I actually, I mean, Sweet it takes dinner. a lot of courage for someone to do though. I don't, I don't know, but I really appreciate it if you're listening. Thanks for the DM. Thanks for calling me cute. Thanks for the offer for dinner. Might have to decline. But I appreciate it anyway. If you do listen, I appreciate that very much. But why are you not sending me DMs calling me cute? You can hang out. <laughs> are you jealous? I mean, like, I would just like some attention too. Uh, I just want to I'll be send... recognized. No, I'm okay. Oh, <laughs> my. Let him know, though. Oh. I can't. And not, like, in a romantic way or anything, but you just need some friends. You know, like, yeah, I'll say, actually, I can't go to dinner, but Max can. If you want to DM him. But but purely like in a bro way. Like he would like to, you know, you guys can go get burritos and like play FIFA. <laughs> Just to clarify. Just to clarify. So we're crystal clear. But you can always do it too. It helps. My confidence. It's going to be so I'm funny. Just, like, hella dude biting in my DMs after this. I'd be like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. It, yeah. In a bro way. In a bro way. Just in a bro way. <laughs> I can't <believe> so... <laughs> On that note. Let's yeah. let's introduce Dave. Let's bring on Dave. Oh, cool. Hey, Dave. Thank Hello. you for coming on our podcast. Uh, if you want to, yeah, of course. Um, I guess either you or Max, you guys can talk about how you know each other, um, where you met, and stuff like that. I think you remember more when we met, but I think Max was in high school. Uh, what two thousand nineteen mm-hmm. was it? And. He was this baby-faced high school kid that they sent to the warehouse to help me. <laughs> and I don't think I called him by his real name for, like, the first year that I knew him. Because there was another kid they sent back there, and I just called one of them Skipper and Scooter for a whole year. <laughs> but they worked hard, and I appreciated it. So I was like, this kid's going places. Yeah, we. Uh, I started working at High Country Outfitters in 2019, right when I graduated from high school. And... um as just like a retail associate or whatever they call it. And then Dave uh, ran the warehouse in the back of the store. Um, and they would just like send me back there to help 
or to like ship stuff and I would get in his way. And, um, <laughs> but most of the time I was like helping Dave or something like that. And then, um, or it was like, Dave's mad. Go send Max to just be berated by him. <laughs> they would just like <laughs> help me to like put boxes places and shit like that. Um, but then, uh, and then he yeah. kept coming back every year and every year his maturity was better. And like his work ethic was always on point. I was like, all right, I like this kid. And, um, this is my child now. Yeah. But yeah, the first like summer, like he like I think half the time he even called me like my name, and because uh, there's this other guy Patrick that worked with us, so he just called us Skipper and Scooter. And uh, I remember like the first day Dave and I were working together, he was like, "Why do you work here?" <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean?" He was like, "Why do you have this job?" And I was like, "Well, I like I needed a job, like I needed money, so I applied for this one and I got it." And he was like, "Okay," <laughs> and then like the next summer when I came back. Uh, they sit like first week or day, they sent me on an egg delivery. Like with Dave, we were like, we, our, the store would like deliver and build big green eggs for people. So I just went with Dave to deliver this one. And we had like a whole like talk in the car on the way over there. Like an in-depth conversation. Cause Max was in a mindset and I think people were trying to give him advice. And I just I was like, talk it out, whatever you want, however you feel, just let it out. I don't think anybody had validated him at all that's like well, I, was no, trying no, no. To, I was trying to leave Wofford to go to Auburn and we we're just talking about like things I could do and then Dave was just kind of like you know you can just do like whatever you want you know like as long as it's I, like I don't, it was just like just kind of like be my my friend and he was like you know like you don't have to go to college but if you want to go to a different like you can just go do that like it's not that big of a deal so we just talked it out. And then we just got a lot closer ever since. And then I thought Dave was going to leave me forever. He was going to move. And then yeah. I came back from school, like, during one break, and Dave was still there. Like, I really thought I was never going to see you again, like, ever in my life. And then you ended up staying, and you're still here. So and we're homies now. And I, yeah. I train him, so he works out of my gym. No, I get the smoke pissed out of me. <laughs> the dog pissed smoked out of me by Max. And, uh, yeah, it's a very painful relationship that I have with Max, but it's worth it. But he's like – Yeah, you guys worked out right before this? Yeah, we yeah. got a good leg day and feel like a baby giraffe. Um, <laughs> I think Max reminded me a lot of my younger soldiers. And I was like, I'm going to mentor this kid as best as I can. And like, not give him the cliche, you know, guidance, just actually be a human being to him. Yeah, Dave, yeah. Dave's been pretty, pretty cool to me, like growing up and like going through college and stuff. Because um, it's like, he was my... Like, he's older than me and, like, my superior, but I didn't, like, report directly to him. Like, he wasn't, like, really, like, my boss. Yeah. And I liked getting to, like, work with him because it wasn't, like, work. I could, like, go hang out in the back and stuff. Um, And then after, he, like, just stopped yelling at Patrick and I <laughs> and, like, actually knew what our names were. Uh, we got, we've gotten a lot closer. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been cool. So, to go back, you said soldiers. And for the people listening, I guess let's take it back even further. Um, how you introduce yourself talk a little bit about you and what your experiences have been like, especially in your twenties. Um, but I know we do want to ask you a lot of questions about your military experience. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California sports all my life, mainly swimming and water polo. Uh, but I'm short, so I wasn't going to have a career in that. And so when I turned <laughs> 20, I joined the army. So this is post nine 11, uh, when things were heating up 2006 and I spent all of my twenties almost uh, from 20 to 27, essentially 
in the army. I got two deployments under my belt, a 15 month rotation in Iraq, and then a 13 month rotation in Afghanistan. And it was a whole new life than what I grew up with. I mean, from probably the closest I've ever been to anybody in my life was serving those six, almost seven years um, in the army. And the ups and downs of maintaining a relationship, being deployed, um, takes a toll on you, but it was worth it in the end. Uh, and then I came home, got lost because I got separated from the army. Uh, I got medically retired. So that life was gone, um, which sucked because that was my dream job was to be in the military. So for you athletes that, you know, you get injured and now you can't play your sport. Believe me, I get it. When they tell you you can't do it anymore, it's one of the worst feelings ever. Um, mm -hmm. But I got through it. And, uh, yeah, then it was my 30s and working at High Country, completely lost. But at least I had a good group of people around me. And now that I'm almost 40, I'm changing careers again yeah. to the mental health. Right. When I met you, I would, I would have been like, not in a million years with Dave. Like, like uh, into like the mental health realm, like professionally. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, my 20s was spent in the coping mechanisms of the military, which is you just shut down and you drink it out and tatted it up, tat it up, lace up your boots and go right back to work the next day. It used to be the measure of a man was, can you get drunk and then wake up the next morning and go to work and still beat everyone to work? Now it's like, yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> it's fun. But, uh, Sounds super healthy. In hindsight, with your mental health, uh, while you're deployed and in the army, like how how would you say? How would you describe it? Like, what would you what'd you learn about it? So, the biggest thing I've learned between my twenties and mental health has changed. Also, so we're talking early two thousands to now. What we know about the mental health world. Uh, traumatic brain injury, PTSD, all these things, moral injury. It's a whole new game. We didn't have that when I was y'all's age. Um, it was just, you sucked it up and you went back to work. You just buried it inside you as much as you can. Now, like Max, I've told him stories about stuff uh, that's happened to me, things that like weigh heavy on me. And the biggest thing I've learned is you can't bottle it up. You can't hide from it. It's going to come out at some point. And I wish I had the podcast you guys have now uh, to listen to back then. Um, we just didn't have an outlet other than sitting around with your friends, cracking open beers or something else, and avoiding the deep conversation. Now it's, uh, it's a whole new world, learning a lot more about it. And opening up has probably been the best thing. And it's only happened in like the last three years, maybe. That I've actually opened up about my mental health problems because deployments. Well, I tell people all the time, my Iraq deployment was fun as hell. As scary as it was, um, it was the wild west, but you were just, you were doing your job. Afghanistan got a little bureaucratic. We were still doing a good job, 
but it definitely, Afghanistan definitely takes a bigger toll on you than Iraq. And that was probably my lowest point in my 20s. Uh, when I first ran into a mental health breakdown wall. Um, I wasn't the only one, but I was the only one who spoke up, which pretty much started the end of my military career. Um, because having that mental health tick mark back then wasn't really cool. So yeah, but yeah. I knew other people needed to have a voice. And I made myself a sacrificial lamb, if you will. And I was like, sure, I'll speak up yeah. about it. <laughs> how uh, how long were you in Afghanistan? And then like what like what happened in Afghanistan? Like how did it get, so, get bad? And also just kind of, I guess, put it Afghanistan into perspective at that time. For, I guess people our age, because we were still like pretty young. When, yeah, because like, that, that was 2009, 2010. So I don't know where you guys were in your lives at that point. But eight and nine. <laughs> Eight, yeah, we are eight. <laughs> so, the way I like I experienced it when I was in Iraq, which was 2007. Ground guys would call us, and and this is medevac operations, and we launched, we took care of it. In Afghanistan, there was so much red tape that we had to listen to a lot of radio chatter, and until we were allowed to even launch and land, and so. To me, that was the worst part of it, was we want to do something we weren't allowed to until we got the okay. So, And the fighting was a little bit dirtier there, we thought. I thought, at least. We just experienced so much more, I guess, worse injuries there. On top of that, as a leader, I didn't have a lot of people under me, but I had enough people that I was really worried about them. and that fear also weighs on you. Like I'm sending these kids out. I mean, they're adults obviously, but you know, they were my responsibility to an extent. And it's a frightening thing. It's different in, yeah. in Iraq. I was just another soldier amped up to gear up and go out. In Afghanistan, I had to be worried about other people. And I was given a responsibility that it'll weigh on you. So was it, would you say it's like, was it was a lot of was a lot of it just the responsibility that you were given, or was it just like was that deployment just like harder it and was, just kind of gnarlier? It was harder and gnarlier, and we were also separated out more. So in Iraq, they separated us into two teams. In Afghanistan, it was four teams completely separate from each other. So you went wow. from having a big crew of people that you can rely on to like just a handful, and completely stretched thin. I think the hardest part. From both deployments, though, from my standpoint was I was trained as a mechanic and I was put on a medevac team. So while I understood the idea of medicine and stuff like that, no one ever prepares you for, you know, the patients that don't make it. No one ever prepares you for that part. And you don't get everybody. It's just the same. Yeah. But, yeah, there's something about the whole... The fighter in Afghanistan was a lot more difficult to take and accept. I mean, I definitely think the enemy was a lot more aggressive there. What, um, can you kind of describe like what, like your job was as medivac? Like what exactly, like, so, like, yeah. like your day-to-day -day and then. So day-to-day -day yeah. when you're on a crew, uh, you have first up and second up. First up is like for emergencies. Second up is like a backup 
to them if someone else gets called or if a lighter uh, mission comes down and you wake up, you know, at dawn, you run up the aircraft, make sure the aircraft is working right so you can launch, um, kind of like being on a paramedic crew. Um, except most of the calls are to people that are pretty jacked up. Um, and then you just kind of sit and wait for that radio call to come down and you could be eating your food. Now you got to sprint back. Uh, and it's just, you get your stuff, you gear up, you know, they call for, they have three levels of medevac, urgent, urgent, critical, and then non-urgent. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the golden hour, which is like that first hour is the most critical part of it. Um, but the other hard part of Afghanistan was it's all mountains. Yeah. So your aircraft doesn't perform as well as the desert where it's just flat and you just go. Mm-hmm. They're on a road bike and a mountain bike. You're going to work a lot harder on those mountains than on the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, every mission ranged differently between just taking a guy from one hospital to another or there's troops in contact and you got to go land and they're pretty good about securing the areas, but every once in a while you take some rounds. You, I mean like D- Dave and I, like when we're, when we're a lot of the time we're in the gym, like alone. So he's still, <laughs> he's like calling some crazy shit. So there's just like, there's so many things like I want you to kind of talk about too. It's like, um, I know one thing I think as far that would kind of line up with like athletes or people kind of like, that were like competitive at one point and aren't anymore. Like I know when you were talking about going into a mission or something like that, and this was like going into a mission and then dealing with it later. Like, I know you guys would listen to like, Oh, like, like so, you like get so, ready for going into it. And then like some wild ass shit would happen. And then you'd come back and then not act like nothing had happened, but you just kind of be like, yeah, another day at work, man. And then just kind yeah, of like, I some mean, wild shit. I don't know. Your, your first missions are definitely scary. And that's not to say that you're you know, you get used to it and you're not scared, but you start getting comfortable in it and you start saying, okay, I'm in it. I'm here. I might as well be all right. But I think what he talked about is uh, some of us would, everyone thinks like you see the movies and they're playing that, you know, real pumped up music, the motivational music and whatnot. Like, nah, we were listening to like Britney Spears or Avril Lavigne going down range into the, <laughs> just to get your mind off of it kind of thing then you come back and it's like all right what movie are we putting on i don't know someone picked glitter out of the box we're watching glitter now (laughs) great (laughs) anything you know they talk about in uh, the military and first responders the dark humor anything to get your mind off of it you know it's like if you can't laugh at about it you're gonna lose your mind a lot quicker yeah so so would you say a lot of like the dealing or like coping with like mental health stuff or like kind of like heavier stuff is just kind of like disassociation yes. or kind of like, it's like how, like I wouldn't describe myself as a sad person, but like, I really like identify with like sadder music. So it's just like oh, the yeah. shit I listen to. So it's like, oh, yeah. listen to like hardcore stuff. You know? It's one of those on your own time. You have that, like the same sad boy music that you're talking about. But like when you're with everybody else, you're trying to do anything to not think about it. And cause one, you don't want to bring the group down. I mean, we've had like days where nothing went right you know, worst day possible. And all it takes is one person to make a joke to get everybody back on track. We used to have in Afghanistan, a book of quotes 
And it's just wild things people would say. I think I filled up most of it um, <laughs> because I was that person who went from this quiet little kid to like the darkest humored person you can imagine only to get someone to laugh and smile. And I remember everyone was so bummed out and I just picked one person. I just started roasting the crap out of them. It's like, we needed to laugh because yeah. we'd had a loss that day. And it's like, we need a win today. Let's get everybody laughing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you have to, in those times dissociate and kind of shut yourself off to, or like I used to say, is like, you got to bury it so you can deal with it later. The problem is they never taught us how to deal with it later. What was, um, you said this to me the other day about putting on the uniform. What oh, yeah, there's a great song. I think it's called a soldier's memoir. And, uh, cause I was in this group therapy and they asked us to give a, a song that impacted us. And I, I had them play that song and they cut it off. But before one of the greatest lines in it is they taught us how to put the uniform on. They never taught us how to take it off. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't, like I said, I'm, I got out when I was 26, 27. I haven't learned how to deal with it until now that I'm 38. Yeah. So when you, when you say that you've learned, um, how to deal with it now, what are you, what are the steps you are taking now? First step was to get a therapist. <laughs> um, yeah. and just actually talk about the problems, talk about the issues, learning how, my physical health and my mental health go hand in hand was a big one too, which is part of me working out with Max. I was like, okay, I need to, I need to get, some, I need to have some sort of training and things like that. And, uh, but honestly diving into the whole realm of mental health and, uh, how PTSD affects the mind and the body, um, different techniques to cope and regulate, um, I went to, I took, well, I got a DUI, which didn't help things cause my drinking got bad, but I went through the DUI course and it taught me all about how alcohol affects things. I was like, okay, now I got to get that under control because that's affecting my mental health. And now, uh, I put myself in a PTSD program cause even with the therapy, I spiraled out. Um, and had to go to the ER and do this whole program, this four week program. Uh, now I'm getting into, uh, a PTSD program with the VA, which that's another nightmare we can talk about. What's the, what's the VA really quick for, uh, like, veterans for affairs and, and their health, uh, veterans health, uh, affairs, kind of like the hospital for us and just bureaucratic nonsense. And essentially if you're not, <laughs> rocking back and forth in a the corner, they don't care about you. If you can still operate, cool, go about your business. Oh gosh, okay. So everything I've been bad. doing is civilian because I was like, I know I'll get taken care of and on that side. And now the civilians are like talking to the VA going, you gotta take care of this kid. So. What was, um, dude, it was like a meme that you and I saw the other day that was like, it's like, wasn't it like the greatest thing the government pulled off? Oh, it was, it was a like... comedian. Uh, they asked him what he thought about the military and he had a great line. He was like, one of the greatest economic achievements this country has figured out is that it's cheaper to worship our veterans than it is to take care of them. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is and he's not, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. No. Um, 
Um, so when, um, like, because I remember when you got your DUI, and like you told me about it, and you're like chuckling, and you're like, I just got like, I just got DUI, it's all good. Because I was like, where's your truck? And you're like, it's like, it's impounded. gone. It's gone. It doesn't exist. I was like, that shit's gone. Yeah. I was like, what? I was like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I got a DUI. He's like, just like literally just like joking about it. And like, and at this point too, like Dave and I were close. Yeah. But we've gotten a lot closer in like this past year. And I was like, some real shit, Dave. Is Dave and I going to know each other better? And like, he was sharing stories from like, fuck, like, like war. And then I'm just kind of like, man, this girl broke up with me and I'm really sad. And I don't like, I don't know what to do at work. <laughs> and yeah. then I said something to Dave at one point where I was like, I don't mean to compare. I think I, I brought this up a few episodes ago, but I said, I don't mean to compare what I've gone through to what you've gone through. And Dave said one of the I was gonna bring this up dopest things you've ever like, I was like one, of things ever. one of the things I learned in this whole mental health journey and it was watching a video of a therapist talking about these two kids he worked with. And the gist of it is the brain doesn't know the difference between traumas. All the brain knows is that you are experiencing something awful. And this took me a long time to realize. Like I probably didn't get help for a long time because I was like, nope, if they're not a veteran, if they didn't serve in war, they'll never understand and blah, blah, blah. And that was the dumbest thing because the brain doesn't get it. The brain can't differentiate between what you're going through and what I went through. It just knows that we both are going through something crappy and our brains are reacting the same way. Yeah. It was like, I think, cause at the time too, I was talking about like the end of my senior year and like, Something happened to one of my friends, and like I thought, yeah. I thought well, I, like my homies died, and I was going through like relationship stuff or whatever. And Dave was also talking about stuff when he was like deployed, because um, we were talking about it, and we were just also describing like the things that we were feeling about those moments during and afterwards. And then I was like, I said, I was like, I hate that, like I'm comparing, like like you literally went like served our country, went to war, or whatever, and then like mine's about like dumb shit and drinking or whatever. And he was like, dog, like the the brain doesn't like that was the worst thing that you've gone through and your brain doesn't know the, like you haven't been to war. Your brain doesn't know like yeah. what I went through is the worst thing I've gone through and our, the, the brain tells no different. And yeah. then like, I, I think we just like hugged it out afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, so I used to be an ROTC in, uh, in college and I, yeah. Was this ROTC in college or ROTC in the JROTC in high school? No, it was college. It was college. You, you had the nice little circle on your chest. We loved when you guys came to base. It was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so I we, we never had issues with the uh, cadets um, because not all of you guys end up joining. Um, hmm. I've learned it's the ones that would come in and what we affectionately call uh, ring knockers. And it's the ones who... They get in and they try to assert themselves. And when you try to correct them, they start knocking that class ring on the table. You're like, all right, definitely one yep. of those kids. Oh, yeah. I saw, I saw it in my, <laughs> in my class all the time. Mm -hmm. There was like 10 of us. There are a few that were, they scared me away from it. <laughs> um, but so my sophomore year, I actually was diagnosed with PTSD. Well, sophomore year, the the experience happened, diagnosed with PTSD six months later. Um, and when I, when it first happened, I didn't know how to process the information that I was receiving. I didn't know how to really think about the experience. Um, 
And the next morning I had class for ROTC and I called my captain and I told him what had happened. Um, and he was understanding that first day. He was great. He was like, you, you take the day you like, mm -hmm. like go process, go, um, call your mom, like do what you need to do. Don't come to class. I t totally understand it. And I was struggling the rest of that spring. Uh, but he gave me that. It was like one day and then I had to be okay again because he couldn't understand that that was the first traumatic experience I had ever gone through. Um, and for him, that wasn't like traumatic comparably to yeah. what he had already experienced. So yeah. it was kind of like this. I don't know. It was, it was very hard. Our relationship became really difficult to kind of, yeah. Yeah. No, it, yeah. So. It's, it's one of the sadder parts of back then. I try to preach it to as many people as I can is we have to stop comparing our traumas. It's mm -hmm. when I was in this, uh, program, uh, for these last four weeks, you know, I even had people going like, how are we supposed to really, I was like, because you went through a trauma, your trauma was just as bad for you as it was for me. I mean, I'm here to process stuff and learn from how you dealt with your trauma and you're here to process stuff and maybe learn something from me. Yeah. You know, again, feelings are feelings, trauma is trauma. The best thing we can do is actually talk about it and, you know, again, not compare it. Comparing it just isolates people, and that's the worst thing we could do. As far as treatments mm -hmm. go, it's crazy because, like, you had your experience in the military, and then Caitlin had that. And that was, we were at the same college. You were just on RTC when I had, like, my thing happened to me, and I was, they diagnosed me with acute stress disorders. It's yeah. like the beginning stages of PTSD. It's like that, it's like an initial stage of like 30 days in which you're like, mm -hmm. your body's still kind of like trying to process like what happens, which can develop into PTSD. But Caitlin and I are actually the same therapist. But she like she pulled me yeah. like, she pulled me out of class, and like I was like I wasn't an athlete, I was just a student, and like whatever. And I definitely think like, and you can speak better on this too. I think if I was an athlete playing on a team, and I was just like I don't think, like I wouldn't be able to like play for a month. Like I'm not like acting normal. I'm not sure if that would have that would have happened just based on like who I played for in high school. My coach was so so intense. And we're friends now, but if that should happen to me in high school, he would have been like, what do you mean you're missing practice? Like, what, like, what do you mean like you don't feel right for a game? Like, yeah. together? So I can only imagine what would have happened at the college level. But just as like a regular student, like, I feel like the stakes, and again, I'm, I know we're talking about like not comparing, but it's like, I guess like, all I got to do is go to class. And then like, and she was like, you're not going to class for the week. Like, you're not going to, it's like, we got to take care of this. Like, we got whatever. And like, so just like the treatment of that is like, like the difference is pretty stark. It's like, you got to take care of it. You can't not process it. Yeah. And yeah. And again, I hate to admit that I was one of those guys that was like, nah, you don't know what trauma is. <laughs> like you haven't seen what I've seen. Like that was the dumbest ideology I could, I could have. And it kept me from a lot of programs that probably could have helped me in my twenties. Um, like I said, it's not, Something I wish I would have learned before I turned 36 and I got my DUI. There's a veterans podcast I was listening to, and one guy explained ours a little bit differently, where it's for, and more so for like who we call the cool guys. It's like the infantry dudes and the special forces guys. That's who we always looked up to. 
because they were actually doing the cool army shit. Sometimes it's not a post-traumatic stress issue. It's a lack of stress. Like, I know I work better under stress and chaos, and that's what I'm missing. Like, I performed at my highest level when I was deployed, and now I feel like I'm not optimizing myself, and that's giving me stress. Yeah. I can understand that completely now. Like, even from shifting from always playing lacrosse and always being in that competitive mindset to mm-hmm. a nine to five where I'm sitting all day doing Absolutely. tobacco research and talking to participants. It's like, I feel like I've been so overwhelmed because of just not having that, not necessarily the competition, but like what you're saying, the chaos. Like I need that to feel like I'm doing something. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. No, it's, it, it's a different animal when, you know, you guys as athletes, you know, like I said, I only got to the high school level. I can imagine at the college level, you guys do understand what it is to perform because you have something on the line. You have your uh, college education on the line. If, you know, that goes south, what do you do with the scholarship that you may have gotten? Um, so yeah, you have to perform. You have to earn that spot. And for us, it was, we had to earn, how do I put it? Because we weren't earning a spot. I mean, you kind of did. You can get kicked out of a unit if you're not performing. But, you know, when you have those kinds of stakes and you get comfortable in that, and then, like you said, you go to a nine to five reading research papers, looking at Excel spreadsheets, you know, it kind of stresses you out, especially if you were good at it. Yeah. And you missed it. Yeah. That's why I quit my job. (laughs) Let's go. Identity crisis for the women. <laughs> I got medically retired. Medically barred means you are not medically clear to serve. You're medically unfit. And so you go through a whole retirement okay. process. And yeah, I was trying to make it, you know, my whole 20, I'd be retiring in two years. I had, you know, between my mental health and my physical health declining, uh, I would have been, you know, retiring in two years. Would, would, you, awesome. would you, do you think you'd still be in it now? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There was no getting out for me. Like I said, that was my dream job. Yeah. Like there's pictures of me as yeah. a baby wearing like military uniform. Like I knew. So we, back- we touched Harry. I keep like interrupting you. I think my, <laughs> my thing is lagging. <laughs> um, I was going to ask, we, we touched on your mental health while in the army, but um, I guess with that identity crisis, can you touch a little bit on, I guess, a little more in depth with your mental health and how that's played a role in um, choosing your career? I know you said you're getting into mental health now. So the identity crisis, when you are removed from uh, something like that, like for you guys not being an athlete anymore, that one hit me hard. And I was recently married, so I was like, I, I just need to get a job. Just get a job. I know what, I know how to do security, so I'll do that. So I did armored trucks, and then I did corporate security. I was like, this just ain't for me. And then I went back to school, and I was like, I just need something easy. So I was washing airplanes. I was like, yeah, this ain't for me either. And then I think <laughs> I stuck around with high country because the culture at the time um, 
and I still have such close friendships with a lot of the people there. Uh, lately, when my mental health started declining, I was like, there's got to be something more. Like, what did I miss? Why was I, why am I not happy now, even though I have this, you know, these people around me that I feel close to, like I've felt close to the people I served with. And that's when, after this last mental health crisis I went through, I was like, it's because I need to get back to doing what I actually cared about. And that's helping people and taking care of people. So that's where I started getting, looking into this whole uh, mental health career field. It was the closest thing because of my physical injuries, even though Max is getting me, you know, in shape, I feel like I would be a liability in like emergency situations. Mm -hmm. And going through my own mental health problems and how hard it is for people, other service members to get help. And a lot of it, my problems stemming from my time deployed, I was like, it dawned on me, you know, I may have come back physically from the war, but I never came back mentally yet. And so in my head, and as corny as it sounds, I'm going to fight the war back home, which is, you know, the mental health battles that we face as uh, veterans and service members and help as many people as I can in that, in that aspect. Because I know what it's like to have those memories haunt you. And I had to do a lot of the research myself to find the help. And then I found out through, I guess, a random job search. There's a thing called a peer support specialist. And I was like, cool, what is that? And it's essentially I help people find the resources to get them help. It's awesome. Yeah. So. I'm not smart enough to do like the psychology or things and whatnot, but I can do this part. Yeah, that's really awesome. It's it's needed. I mean, it's kind of like y'all's podcast. I mean, yeah, you guys are helping people of your age group go through the problems. Like that's why I got excited when Max told me you guys were doing this. I was like, that is awesome. <laughs> I was like, I will be one of the first people to start following it. Like that is awesome. Um, cause yeah, we all need help and we all can relate a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. And I think, I just think it's an important part that we've neglected as a society for a long time. So. I think like a lot of times, like we're in here, we're just kind of like shooting the shit and we're talking about like relationships and shit. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, Al has, cause I think you also have like, I think a more unique perspective in like how your mental health has affected relationships just because it's like you know not everybody's been in service and stuff like that and like again like trauma is trauma and whatever so it's like has I don't, like how's your mental health affected your relationships and then how is like being like in combat affected relationships too uh i gotta give my ex-wife a lot of credit uh she held me together uh when i was first out of the military, uh, dealing with a lot of PTSD and the nightmares, but it took a toll, which it sucks, but I don't blame her. I wasn't being who I needed to be. And I was still stuck in this, uh, you know, just shut it down, bury it, 
drink too much kind of mindset. So yeah, eventually it takes a toll on some relationships, but before I could hurt her with my problems, um, we split it off and we still remain good friends because she says I'm still a good dude. So <laughs> she just, he's a great I, guy, everybody. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I, we still support each other in our careers and we still share a dog. So there's that bit. So one of the things I know has affected my relationships in the civilian world is that like, not to touch too much into it, but like, I didn't have a great attachment style as a kid, as far as like support and like feeling loved. And then when you're in the military and you're in a unit like ours that we were so close, I think it gave me a really negative like attachment style to things and people because you're with these dudes every day and then you go home and you're still with them all day. I mean, you know, their kids. I was there for the birth of at least two of my friend's kids. You know, we're in each other's lives. And then you separate from the military and you don't have that bond with people anymore. Like, I didn't understand. I still don't understand. Like I said, we were in each other's lives so much that even after work, even after spending 12 hours working on an airfield, like you still wanted to go hang out with those people. And I come out into the civilian world and everyone's done with each other after they clock out. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're going to go hang out at somebody's house, right? No, that, that's not what we do. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Wanting to have that bond again is really tough, but I know it's not a thing. So I think that affected my last relationship, but she's such a great girl. And uh, we're still friends too, though. Apparently I'm a great guy, but not relationship. <laughs> um, so overall, I guess, how do I phrase this? I guess just, do you have any overall advice, overarching advice for 20 somethings from your experiences? Don't not talk about the important things. I mean, don't isolate yourselves, talk it out. I don't care what anybody says. If it's, you know, if it's dumb or you're being, if someone tells you something, you know, you're being weak for something. Cool. Yeah. You're not always strong either. So get over it and get them out of your life. Keep people in your life that, who's it that said it? Somebody said it best is find those people in your life that can also just sometimes sit in the mud with you. I think that was the biggest thing that I learned when I first started getting into this thing is be that for someone and find people that'll be that for you. Someone that will sit in the mud with you. I think that's the bond we had the most with uh, in the military is while we didn't always talk it out, but we were always there for each other. And it's probably the most important thing you can do for someone because if you're just gonna listen to them to respond or try to give advice, which is great if that's what they want, but can you just sit with somebody when they're in their darkest point? Like be that person for people. And it's gonna be uncomfortable. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because you got to talk things out. You got to be able to sit with people. You got to be there for each other. Create that tribe, create that bond, and don't let them go. I really love that. Like that. <laughs> I give people like that. At the end of our show, we typically do 
um, something that we learned this week, and it could be like anything. Like it just be something like silly, or it can be some like big thing, or it can just be like you know whatever. Something that I learned this week. I don't know. That's a tough one. I guess one thing that I learned uh, this week is that the difference between a leader and a boss, and even when you step away, you're always still a leader. People can come back to you for support. It's like you never lose that um, role. And it's a, I tell people all the time, it's better to be a leader than a boss. And you don't have to be in a position of authority to be a leader. Great advice. Yeah. So I think people miss out on the, on the idea of what it is to be a leader. As long as you can help people and move them forward, you're a leader. All right, Max, do you want to go? Do you want to say what you've learned this week? I don't feel like I have anything important to say about what I learned this week. Well, I, um, I don't know if I want to say that. I probably act on the things that I say on a public platform. And dude, today I played pickleball for three hours and old people fucking love pickleball and like are nasty at pickleball. That's another thing I learned this week. I learned that it's important to follow my gut and to take the risk anyway. I feel like Whoa. I've just been sitting on my butt past few months knowing that what I'm doing is like my career is not like the career I want and I want to take a pivot but I've been so scared about income and like just the logistics of it but I finally just decided to rip the band-aid off and like look into other other jobs and tell my tell my boss that I'm I'm done as of March 1st so hell yeah that's also yeah. not sitting on your butt too. Like yeah. you, uh, that's just part of the process is like figuring out which, what you don't like and stuff. So I'm proud of you for taking the leap to be gangster. Royalty Thank personal you. trainers be so sick. It's going to be so sick. Yeah. I'm so excited. Man, your fear is a good thing. Fear is always a good thing. And anyone says that they're not afraid, they're full of shit. I had a soccer coach <laughs> who would tell me that. He'd be like, nervous is good. Nervous is good. Nervous means yeah. fucking care and we're going to be okay. So that's awesome. Very courageous of you too. Like courage isn't like the absence of fear. It's what do they say? It's like courage is being afraid and still doing it. And that's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for, for listening to the We Talk 360 podcast. Um, and thank you, Dave, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, it was really, really great conversation. And um, I look forward to you guys hearing it on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. And follow our Instagram and TikTok. And go check out our website for other things. And you can also email us, ask us questions. I don't know what you would want to ask, but you could. So, yeah, thanks. And I love you, Caitlin. And I love you, Dave. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening.